Welcome back to another episode of the Cornell Thank You Podcast. I'm Michelle here with Steph after a truly unique story that we are very excited about. Anybody who follows this podcast knows that Steph and I have been best friends for 30 something years, and we just met a pair of best friends who are doing something really exciting and adventurous. Yes, we're going to introduce you to Jill and Diane, and the keywords for this episode are triple legacy greats, best friend dates, and all 50 states. You'll hear their story right after we roll the intro. Listeners, today we have a very special treat. We have best friends from Cornell, class of 1987, Jill Feasley and Diane Hirschhorn. And what we're most excited about is that they reached out to us. They're fans of the show, and they have such a great Cornell story to tell. We're going to leave it to unravel as we, as we interview them because it's so unique. So welcome to the show, Jill and Diane. Thank you so much for reaching out to tell our listeners your great Cornell and friendship story. Glad to be here. Thanks. Okay. So Diane, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and why you picked Cornell. I grew up on Long Island and I was one of those students who did a summer at Cornell between my junior and senior year. And I was sold from the moment I came onto that campus, like could not believe and still cannot believe how lucky I was to go there. Life-changing experience for me. Jill, tell us about your coming to Cornell story. Well, I grew up on a dairy farm in Western New York in a town called Eden. And my father and actually my grandfather had both gone to Cornell. My grandfather went in 1916, special program for farm youth. They didn't actually graduate from the college, uh, but they would go. And as far as I can tell from his retelling, just had a really awesome time off the farm during the winter. <laughs> and for me, you know, it was a state school, it was affordable, um, and, and we had this connection. So I was really happy that I, I got in. I did want to add one other thing that my dad was class of 1958 and truly a walking ad for Cornell. Whatever my dad did, I wanted to do. So that was really the impetus. And once I saw how beautiful that campus was, I was in. Oh, that's so nice. And what was life like for you when you got there? Okay, I joined everything. I was very quiet in high school. And I love being anonymous. My high school is very small. So I love being part of a big crowd. I joined pretty much every single group I could get. I joined, I guess I was in U-Haul 5, which I loved. Jill, you were... U-Haul 3. Yes. Yeah. And it was just amazing. It was the first time like that I grew up intellectually. High school was very easy and I was incredibly lazy. I really learned how to think and how to study and work hard. So, and then I met amazing people like Jill. So how we met relates to where we lived. So we were both taking biology 101 and I was sitting next to this guy who I really was interested in, uh, Dennis. So I would like sit next to him. And then one day Diane came in and sat down right next to him. And it turns out they lived in the same dorm. But I thought like she was making moves on him. <laughs> and I was like, who is this chick? She was not interested in Dennis. She was just being friendly. 
Jill, if she's going to be honest, will say she did not like me one bit when she met me. And I actually was so friendly to her because she reminded me so much of a friend of my sister. So I'm being super friendly and outgoing. At least least I thought so. And it was not met with the greatest reception. When did the friendship blossom? Because obviously we've been friends a long time. There was a moment. What happened? Spring semester of freshman year, we both took ice skating for our PE requirement. Diane remembered, oh, Jill, this nice woman. And we did uh, have a great time learning how to ice skate. Okay. Was Dave Price yeah. in your class? He may have been. Like, I do recognize the name. Yeah. He's a weather forecaster and he's famous and he's brilliant and he was on the podcast. So we might have to bring all the ice skaters together (laughs) for some kind of holiday episode. (laughs) You guys can compare axles and whatever else you learned in there. Yeah. And Dr. Nina. Yeah. Did you guys do sorority rush also or anything in that semester? I didn't. I rushed the, the following year. And I never joined a sorority. We never lived together, and maybe that might be part of um, what helped our build our friendship. <laughs> nice. Okay, so where did you both live? Did you end up, Diane, joining a sorority? I did, and then, but I joined as a sophomore, um, so I had, like, this great collection of friends from freshman year, and then I had really fun friends from my sorority, and then my junior year, I went, or I guess senior year, I went back to college town, so. And which house were you in, Diane? I was a tridalton. All right. So I want to know, were you, were you, did you consider each other your best friend throughout college or was it after college really in visiting each other that the, that their deep connection blossomed? Um, We were definitely good friends and we would meet up on Sunday mornings uh, to go out to breakfast. So, and we definitely took some classes together. We took archaeology 101, rocks for jocks, when we graduated, we promised each other that we were going to like see each other at least once a year. And we really have maintained that ever since we were graduated. All right. So before we get to that, tell us a little bit about what you each did right after graduation. What did you do, Jill? I moved to Washington, D.C. Um, I had majored in social work and the College of Human Ecology, a a major that no longer exists. They took away the Bachelors of Social Work and then changed it to Policy Analysis and Management, PAM. And actually, I I did a lot of that. Um, (laughs) But it really helped that I had my bachelor's in social work because then I was able to get my master's in one year and was able to get a lot of Um, positions because I had my MSW. And I absolutely could not have done that without having the the first year of social work um, taken care of as an undergraduate. I worked for the what's now called the Government Accountability Office. I worked on the Senate Subcommittee on Aging. Um, So I've done a lot. I've worked for the Institute of Medicine doing policy research. Uh, And then after I had kids, I was for about 20 years, the director of a Meals on Wheels program here in Tacoma Park, Maryland. And now I have back to doing policy stuff. I'm a a campaign manager for a Maryland state delegate. Oh, wow. Did you marry Dennis? I did not. (laughs) I'm going to say you married someone 
much better than Dennis, just my opinion. Okay. Diane, how about you? So I, when we graduated from Cornell, it was 87. It wasn't the best economic time to get a job. In fact, I remember when we were graduating, like, and you're going into um, the stadium, like, uh, someone was like, arts and sciences, you're so quiet. Why are you so quiet? Even the engineers were louder than you. And I was like, that's because they all have jobs. <laughs> the only job I could get at that time was uh, working for Xerox, just so glamorous, living in Albany, slugging around a 300 pound copier on a gurney, literally going door to door absolutely cold calling, even though there was no, at that time, phone involved. It was not my dream job, but it was a really great experience. Then I worked a little bit in sales and worked my way back to grad school and got my MBA at UCLA and then started to get into wealth management, which I loved. And my business partner and I managed together about a billion dollars. And we started at Goldman and worked at a series of different firms. And then I had this epiphany that I really wanted to give back. And so now um, I sold my business and uh, now work as a professor at CU Boulder. So, and I love that I teach portfolio management, investing and personal finance. Wow. That's terrific. Yeah. All right. So let's take our listeners current because what you're, what you're doing now to maintain and keep your friendship um connected and exciting is really um, what we're so excited to talk about. Okay. So you graduate and you decide you're going to visit each other and you're living in different areas of the country. And so how long did you sort of go back and forth every year visiting each other? Until we were 40. So either Diane would come out to Washington, DC, or I would go to LA. And finally, when we turned 40, she said, you know, we could go somewhere else, Jill. (laughs) <laughs> and um, and then I came up with a 50-year plan. And the idea is that we're going to visit all 50 states alphabetically. Okay. We love it. Every year is a new state. Whatever's up next. There is an asterisk um, next to it's 50 years alphabetically, mostly, because we would just do it on a long weekend. We both have families and kids and jobs, so we can only give over like a long weekend. So we haven't yet hit Alaska or Hawaii, um, but within the continental U.S., we have alphabetical integrity. And do you go to a state and wing it or do you plan in advance and there's a challenge or an event or something you're looking forward to doing in each place? Jill is usually the organizer of this. So no, we don't wing it. We just find something really fun and interesting. And Jill and I share a lot of common interests. We love nature and being outdoors. So for example, we went to a hummingbird festival in um, Arizona. We saw like a frog jumping contest at a state fair in uh, California. And of course we did go to Yosemite first, but uh, yeah, no, we try to figure out something fun and interesting and unique about each state. That's amazing. Are you ever like, oh God, this year is Arkansas or something like that? I'm going to put in my plug for Arkansas because oh, okay. Arkansas was really beautiful. But yes, to begin with, I was like, Arkansas, are you kidding me? Like, what are we going to find to do in Arkansas? But yeah. there's this beautiful area called the Ozark Mountains. And so we just did hiking, pick up this part of the story, Jill. Yeah, actually, it was funny because I was um, waiting to get on my plane in Washington, D.C., and I'm watching the TV 
And it says, we're breaking live for an update from Mountain View, Arkansas. And it was like, that is exactly where we're going. <laughs> it was like a line of dangerous tornadoes. And we, so we were planning on going canoeing um, this river. And when we got to the rental place, the woman was like, so have you done a lot of canoeing? Because <laughs> the river is running real high. And then she very subtly slipped um, a brochure for a nearby cave. <laughs> she said, Mark, the two of you might want to just check out the cave. So we, or Jill, is she's a very funny writer. And so we're keeping a journal because we had this vision that one day we're just going to inspire other people to do this. And uh, so we usually have this, you know, but what would our readers be interested in? We need some adventure. <laughs> some like, They wouldn't want two women, you know, just you know, sitting in a hotel room, like let's spice it up a little bit. Yeah. So is there a, a recurrent theme? Is there a tradition or a ritual that you do in every state you go to, no matter what? You know, it's just really a lot of chatting. And have you learned anything either about yourself or about your friendships over the years? Have things changed or have you noticed idiosyncrasies or things that you, that you didn't realize you love so much about the other person or found adventure within yourself that you didn't realize existed? When we go, we rent a car typically, and I am the one who drives uh, because uh, um, it's just better. It's just better that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we do, we, we, we do make a lot of U-turns. <laughs> so the state is set for the year. Is the time of year always set? Or do you base that on the adventure that you want to do in that state? Yeah, it's really based on our schedules and, and what we can pull off. So yeah. this year was Iowa, um, and we set the goal to do this bike ride across Iowa. It's called Ragbri, and you, you bike from the west side of Iowa, and 500 miles later, if you've done it well, oh you're, you're dipping your tires in, in the Mississippi. 500 miles you guys rode together? Exactly. Like there were many times when I was training, like, oh my God, I, I just, I can't let Jill down, but I just don't know if I can do this. Guess what we did this summer with our best friends from Cornell. We rode a six person Surrey bike about 1.3 miles. And not quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You guys should do the Surrey. Yeah. It's like a golf cart with pedaling and poor steering. <laughs> yes. And danger. Yeah, I'm impressed. 500 miles is a lot. That's amazing. And so when you're on these trips, are you spending any time talking about the next one? So whatever you're doing after Iowa, and I don't know the order of the states, quite frankly, but whatever comes next, are you talking on this trip about timing and what you might like to do in the next state? Do you think this time we did? Because I, I thought that the ride was exhilarating. So I asked till we're going to do a bike ride on in Kentucky, 200 miles, and it's just three days. And uh, oh, sorry. And also Kansas. So Kansas first and then Kentucky. Kansas, yes. And I, I had to twist her arm a little bit. And this is really why she's such a good friend in so many different ways. But um, for Kentucky, it really Jill wanted to do the Kentucky Derby because yeah. it is so iconic. And I don't know, I just had such a great time training and then riding. And it was so exhilarating because I'm the least athletic person. 
We won't do a bike ride in every state. I promise you, Jill. This one, I kind of twisted her arm on this and asked if we could plan the next couple of states. Yes, because, you know, if all goes well, when we are 90, we're going to be in Wyoming. And also, I would say that, um, you know, not only are we thinking about what state is coming up, but also whenever you tell anybody about this idea, they'll be like, oh, well, when you get to my state, what you should do is X, Y, and Z. If you each had to pick a state so far that was your favorite, Diane, what would you say is your favorite? And Jill, what would you say is yours? We will be impartial and and not name a specific state, okay. um, but they are all great. I will say, though, there's, there's a little controversy in following the alphabet. It is a great idea, but I'm a little type A, and we started this when we're 40. So I said, Jill, like, first of all, there's just beautiful states at the end of the alphabet. Utah, you know, Virginia, Vermont, like, yeah. Wyoming, like, don't you think we could fit in more than one? Like, if we're in the area, Jill, Jill said, do you not know the alphabet? Like, do I have to explain this to you? It's not so much the alphabet. It's a 50-year plan. I, I love it. I love the concept. I love it's very organized. You know where you're going. Like, you know where you're going in the year 2038. I can't tell you because I'm sure Jill has it mapped out. But you know where you're going. And a and state is big. You could pick any city, any activity. So you have some flexibility there, but I love it. I love it too. Should we do it backwards, Steph? Should we start in Wyoming? Yes. Yes. Wyoming. All right. So we had a game when we were in college called, well, it was called death is not an option, but really it was also called, would you rather, would you rather this or this? We had came up with a travel edition since you're quite the travelers. This was our best friend game. Would you rather get upgraded at your hotel but the room is haunted or not get upgraded, but your room is tiny with only one twin bed for the two of you. I think I would go upgrade with the haunting. And a twin bed is tight. I, I love Michelle, but that those are tight quarters. Yeah, we'd have to. I mean, yeah. I, I would rather, I think, take the floor and no ghosts and give you the bed. <laughs> like I'm not into the ghosts, frankly, right? <laughs> okay. All right. Would you rather miss your flight entirely? or make your flight, but the bathroom is broken and most people have the stomach virus. <laughs> I'm going to say miss my flight. <laughs> what about you, Jill? I, I agree with that. Let's say that you have a friend in the state that you're going to, and you're going to visit that person and her family. Would you rather show up at the host's house without a gift for the child? Or would you rather get a t-shirt at the airport that says LaGuardia Airport and give that to the kid? And the kid will hate you all weekend if you bring nothing. Actually, what I probably would do is show up without a gift, get to know the kid better, and then mail something afterwards. Uh, okay. Is that is that allowed in the... Well, yeah, but just, just to be clear, you're walking in empty-handed. I'm walking yeah, in To an expectant child. Oh, I'd much rather show up without something than show up with a LaGuardia t-shirt, even though I'm from Long Island. <laughs> that would be funny, though, to show up with that. Okay. Yeah. What about this? Okay. Would you rather get caught in the sprinkler system at the local botanical garden that you were visiting or a clown parade that you didn't know about with no escape until the end of the two mile route? I'm going clown parade. I'm going to go with the sprinkler. Okay. Would you rather open your suitcase and realize you forgot all of your hair tools or 
realize that you brought mismatched shoes and you only have one pair. Listeners cannot see my hair <laughs> to know that actually I don't have any hair tools. Oh. So I'm okay with Yeah, she's au natural any. with the curl. All yeah. right. Okay. Yeah, I'm willing to give up the hair tools. I'm not wearing mismatched shoes. Okay. All right. Last one. Would you rather lose your luggage for the whole trip, but when you get it back, there is a check for $5,000 to compensate you, or you are on your trip, your luggage is found the next day, but it's apparent that someone wore all of your clothes while it was missing. I'm going for the $5,000. This is a no brainer for me. Of course, I take the $5,000. Even though you were biking in your wool dress that you wore on the plane. No problem. All right. That was fun. Thank you. Why don't you tell them about the Wyoming clause? Oh, well, the Wyoming clause is that we have to promise that we won't do anything that would either um, imperil either one of our lives so that we wouldn't be able to make it to Wyoming or do anything that would imperil the friendship. So we wouldn't want to be with one another when we're 90 years old in, in Wyoming. All right. Well, I love this part of your Cornell story. It's so good. We want to also now get to some of the other little tidbits about your life at Cornell in our speed round. Okay. What was your favorite on-campus and off-campus dining? I don't know. Maybe noise. Willage Stray for the cookies, the Bow Burger at Sage. They were all good. Off-campus, maybe the Suvlaki house. All right, Jill. So on-campus, I used to love to go to the law school cafeteria. And off-campus, uh, the Glenwood Pines. Oh, yeah. Where did you guys study? Diane, where did you study? If I wanted to be social, I'd go to Eurus. I love the law library. If I really wanted to be serious, I would go to the Olin Stacks. For me, the A.D. White Library. Did you go to Hot Truck? Oh, my God, of course. PMPs. Jill? PMP Pop, for sure. What song takes you right back to your Cornell days? Two songs. So first is uh, the Howard Jones song. I forget exactly what it's called. What? Oh, Things oh, can only get better. Love that. Second one is um, Pachelbel Cannon to chill out and calm down. Do you have a favorite Cornell memory? So I'm just. I actually have so many funny memories and also beautiful memories of so many gorgeous locations. But my favorite memory right now, my son just graduated from Cornell. My dad passed away June 24th, but he was able to come to Cornell's graduation for my son, and it was just so meaningful. Like three generations, something that meant so much to my dad, that meant so much to me, and that now means so much to both my kids because they both go there. So that I just that graduation was amazing. Wow. Well, listen, Jill, you are a third generation Cornellian and Diane, you are a second of a, th of a three generation Cornell family. So obviously Cornell holds such a special place for both of you, I'm sure with losing your fathers too, that it's, it's extra meaningful that you've had each other. And I'm sure you have Cornell to thank for that. But other than your friendship, which is obviously what we've been focusing on, when you, when you think back about your time at Cornell, what are you most thankful for? Jill, you can go first. Well, certainly the friendships, the natural beauty is amazing, but also just the architecture as well. Um, for me, Cornell changed who I am. Like I enter Cornell so quiet, so insecure, just like a 
not at all who I am today. And um, it allowed me to reinvent myself. And I really learned how to work hard, how to think, how to approach a problem. And then I truly fell in love with nature there. Like I am living in Colorado in part because I just loved all the hiking surrounding the campus. And then I have met some extraordinary people. And Jill and I are part of a group that, you know, from Zoom, we got together, like starting with COVID, and we still meet probably every four to six weeks. And that's just one group. I have several different groups. I'm so grateful to those people because they have helped me and just there's a beauty to long-term people. I can talk to Jill and so they can understand who I am and what might help me. And that's just like, it helped me become who I am. So I'm so grateful to Cornell. We love your story. We couldn't wait to get you guys on here because it's just, it's a story of adventure and friendship unlike we've ever heard. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing it with us and our listeners. And it was great to meet you guys. It's very inspiring. Thanks so much for listening. Join us next week for another episode of the Cornell Thank You Podcast. Things gotta make it better.